podcast and welcome in to the flag hunting podcast and uh obviously this is chris joined by ian and it is major week um and i think second time this year i believe right we're joined by major correspondent uh derek yoder so derek how's it going tonight uh gentlemen i'm doing great uh major week us open so excited to talk a little golf nascar is on a break so I get to transfer my energy to the golf world. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Always. Always a pleasure to have Derek on, especially during Majors Weeks, because we get to have the Rom versus Scheffler debate for about the fourth or fifth time. Um, <laughs> it's true. But, it's true. <laughs> all right. So with that being said, let's uh, let's actually take a minute to recap what we saw last week um, at the RBC Canadian Open, uh, where Nick Taylor gets his third career PGA Tour win, I believe. Um and he takes it down in uh, playoff form in his home country. Obviously, pretty cool to see a Canadian take down the Canadian Open. Um, really close day for our guys as well. Two guys finishing T3, uh, which just seems so on par for flag hunting uh, with the T2s and T3s lately. But, um, yeah, Ian, I guess what was your kind of overall takeaways from the weekend? I didn't really get to tune in that much. But, obviously, uh, you know, we didn't have a guy in victory lane, so... What what, yeah. what would you what did you learn from I guess you know Nick Taylor Tommy Fleetwood you talked about Aaron Ryan and Tur- Turl Hatton obviously being on the card TT Pan you get you brought up so I feel like you nailed a lot of the guys that finished yeah. top of the leaderboard. Yeah, we were we were kind of all over this one. Makes it a bit more frustrating that uh, you know you don't cash a ticket when you can you kind of feel like you diagnose the golf course pretty well. Uh, everything that we talked about in the podcast last week I felt like came to fruition. I mean, if there's only two things that mattered was hitting fairways, staying out of the rough, and wedge play. Like if you could do those two things, you were probably somewhere near the top of the leaderboard, at least near the top of the TD Green rankings, and then it became a putting contest kind of from there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we were right there in the mix. All you can really ask for, trying to go for three in a row. And uh, I thought, you know, for a second there, not only would Aaron Rye give us, you know, kind of a podcast first, but would have cashed one of my biggest tickets maybe of all time in golf, 300 to 1, uh, caught Bovada napping there on Thursday afternoon, and he carried us there to the end. I was really impressed with how he played. Um didn't do a whole lot wrong on Sunday. Just didn't really give himself like the tap and birdie looks. Um, had a lot of 15, 20 footers for birdie and grazed the edge on a lot of them. So, you know, as Al Torres said after last year's US Open, you know, I'd, I'd paid a lot of money for an inch or two right now. That's kind of how, how I felt about Aaron Rye again. Didn't do a lot wrong and uh, was was right there. Um, and then as for our kind of two leading men, Hatton and Rose, who finished T2 and I think Rose finished like T8, T9 uh man that eighth hole <laughs> i don't know how much y'all caught of the tournament in general but the eighth hole the little shorty about 350 yards literally like five iron wedge if you wanted to or you could hit driver and then hit a little pitch shot over the bunker one of the easier holes on the golf course i would say um in terms of like birdie percentage but uh hat and rose both make six on sunday both hit it in the right penalty area uh and then basically I mean, essentially tanked their chances. Hatton missed the playoff by one, making a six on the on the eighth, and then Rose uh, never really recovered from his six. He pulled with one of Nick Taylor on the par five seventh, then made double on the eighth, and that was pretty much the last we saw of Rose. So eighth hole cost us a lot of money uh, in retrospect. But, yeah, I mean, Nick Taylor, winner at Pebble Beach, another kind of short, wedge-intensive golf course. Fleetwood has been doing a lot of things right as of recently. Uh, couldn't really get there on the outright, but did like his overall profile. So, yeah, again, I like the venue. I, I thought Oakdale was um, a lot more compelling than I maybe anticipated. Just 
based on how penal the rough was around there. And just the, it's nice to see a golf course that, that puts that much emphasis in hitting the fairway. A lot of courses, especially these kind of middle to lower rung events on the PJ tour, just kind of turn into like point and shoot birdie parties. Doesn't really matter where you hit it. Um, especially off the tee with, uh, you know, some of the limited rough patterns we see. So it was cool to see, you know, the field getting equalized a little bit like that and having that kind of stiff penalty there. Uh, we'll be going back there in 2026, if memory serves. So uh, we're going to keep our notes for sure and hopefully hit a winner in, in a couple years' time. Yeah, and then I guess just seeing how Nick Taylor closed that off with a, what was like a 70, 60, yeah, 70 foot putt yeah. to clinch it. Uh, and then uh, obviously the video of Adam Hadlin getting tackled was hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess what about, you know, you know, Tommy Fleetwood or, or I feel like Tommy Fleetwood for a while was kind of flirting with like showing really good uh, metrics. And then he kind of fell off for a little bit and all of a sudden he's back kind yeah. of contending again. Um, I'm th- pretty sure. Again, I think another guy you brought up last week, but um, yeah, the top of leaderboard was Canadians and Eng- Englishmen, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it did have that kind of international flair. I think Derek wanted to say something uh, for a second. Do you have a thought on Canada real quick, Derek? No, I was just going to say it was a 72 foot putt. Crazy uh, yeah. to get a win uh you know like that and Fleetwood's just watching this thing track exactly to the hole so uh, i got to catch the tail very tail end of that i was watching on my phone uh during one of the uh, caution breaks so uh crazy just absolutely crazy yeah i mean it's it's just (laughs) if you're a fleetwood like truther that just bets him outright every single week you've had some pretty tough beats through the years and that that might be one of the worst i mean this is a guy that birdied 17 uh, to tie the lead heading into the easy hole of the golf course and regulation, 520-yard par 518th, and, uh, you know, can't it really even get close to uh, to making birdie regulation. Drives on the rough, lays it up on the rough, wedges it to, like, 50 feet, and then two putts uh, for his part of getting the playoff. And then, obviously, I mean, we've had some some pretty tough beats on flag hunting in, in terms of finding runner-ups out of nowhere, but having a 72-footer get cashed on your head is, is kind of kind of brutal, so. Definitely some thoughts and prayers out to the Fleetwood backers. Uh, that's, yeah, that's 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 fucking tough. But Fleetwood, to be fair, did have like a 15 foot for birdie. So even if Taylor two putts there, Fleetwood has to make from 15 feet. But uh, yeah, sick run out for sure. That's just one of those where like you know the the range of emotions is just so uh, so crazy. And then obviously the the reception Nick Taylor got in front of his home fans. I mean, you know Taylor's had a nice year, and for him to kind of pay that off with the first Canadian win in almost 70 years in the Canadian open. So um, yeah, you can't really, can't really go wrong. Sick finish. I mean, there was five, six, seven guys within two shots of the lead down the stretch. So um, they can't all go your way. You know, we've, we've kind of come on here the last couple weeks and, and uh, talked about some of the good fortune we've had go our way. Uh, so, you know, you keep putting guys in the mix and water will find this level and hopefully you're, you're up units at the end of uh end of the whole calendar. Yep. Agreed. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the topic that everyone's kind of here for. I don't think everyone came here for the recap of the Canadian Open. You're here for, obviously, the U.S. Open. And I know Ian's been very, very excited for this, not only this tournament, but for this this golf course. Um, I know for a while you even considered potentially even trying to go out there because you've got family kind of out there. Um, but for anybody who doesn't know, we are headed um, out to L.A., Beverly Hills. Um, and this is the 126-year-old course. Apparently, from what I've heard, more private than Augusta, which is just wild to me. Um, 
but uh, yeah, the first time a uh, a major has been held in the LA area in like 75 years, I believe. Yeah. Um, so just all around big stuff for like the LA market, the golf world, especially mm-hmm. with the the merger of lives. So we got the live guys obviously coming because we have a major, and now they're going to be a part of the PGA Tour again. So a lot of storylines, a lot of headlines, but more importantly, Ian, we've got a course breakdown that is even more interesting, I believe. This course seems to be, it's going to be a, a fortune. It's going to be a headache for some of these players. This is, yeah, this is, this is prime time. This is about honestly as good as it gets. For those of y'all that, that know me as a golf fan, know that the Masters is my, I mean, that that's my baby. That's my forte. That's the golf tournament that gets me through winners when the sun sets at 430 uh, in North Carolina, just watching Masters reruns uh, after work every night. But it's hard to really pinpoint another golf tournament that I've been more excited for. LACC, uh, like Chris just laid out, one of the most historic golf courses in the entire country. Um, largely regarded as the seminal work of the guy who quite literally wrote the book on golf tech, on golf course architecture in America, George T. Thomas, as you can see. Bit of a fan. I've got the, uh, the, the complete works right here. Um, just to get kind of a little background on George C. Thomas for those that don't know, but a guy that was born in the Philadelphia area, born in the East Coast, uh, famously a product of the Philadelphia golf course uh, kind of school of design along with, with uh, like A.W. Tillinghouse and, and a lot of those famous architects on the East Coast, but gained much of his notoriety here in Los Angeles. Uh, he designed still to this day three of L.A.'s most ex- uh, exclusive courses, Bel Air CC, obviously Riviera and Pacific Palisades where the Genesis Invitational is held every year. And then finally, uh, LACC North, uh, notably Thomas, uh, passed, uh, rather young, I guess, 59. Uh, so he didn't quite get a chance to, to build his, uh, Rolodex of, you know, world-class golf courses, like some of the Donald Rosses and, uh, you know, Stephen McDonald's and Alistair McKenzie's of the world. Uh, but certainly has left his mark, especially in this area, putting Los Angeles on the map as a, as a golfing city, uh, for sure. So I know Derek has some questions about LACC, um, just in general. So I did want to get to those first and foremost, just because uh, having a guest on, I didn't really want to go in here and, and talk for 20, 30 minutes um, about the golf course. So I kind of want to get Derek's like, as maybe someone who doesn't consume the PJ Tour, doesn't really consume golf um, to the same degree. I know okay, Derek's going crazy over there, but I, we know his main fo- what his main focus is and even though he might tune in during caution breaks, uh, he's not there sweating uh, the 6.30 Thursday MT times like your boy is. So, um, true. <laughs> not not, not trying to gate, not trying to gatekeep, but I did want to get his input or, or at least like what have you heard about LACC and kind of what are your just initial mm. thoughts on the golf course and, and kind of what do you have questions about kind of heading into, uh, into this U.S. Open? Well, I mean, what I keep hearing are the views, right? Like, it's stunning views. You mentioned uh, kind of how the layout looks. I think, you know, the course or the tournament starting out at a par five on hole number one. Now, on, on Thursday, they're going to be doing uh, teeing off on one and ten. But on one, having that be a par five, I think, is so much easier to get some of those nerves out for some of these maybe players that maybe aren't accustomed to the big stage or being out in LA, you know, the pressure uh, of so many people. I think it's a great market, obviously. Do you, do you, what do you think about that? Having that be a par five, obviously uh, one, you know, the course is what it is, but it's, you know, par five, 578 hole. If you can go out and get a birdie, 
you know, that's off to a really good start in a major championship, even even par, as we know, with these these majors, especially the U.S. Open. But what do you think about that? And how does that kind of go into maybe some of your betting card, even on like a Thursday? Do you more so look at guys in the morning session or does it not matter? Um, yeah, so I would say, number one, I'm glad the USGA left this as a par five. I know the USGA does a lot um, with the courses they go to a lot of the time with the uh, scorecard in relation to par, just trying to make the golf course play a bit harder on the scorecard, keep that kind of fight against par, quote unquote, that we've, we've seen over the years from the USGA. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that they were able to to keep this as a par five because even in George Thomas's words, this, the first two holes, but kind of both play as par four and a half. Um, he kind of has, I mean, one of his underlying design philosophies and it's apparent at Riviera, another golf course that we go to every year on the PGA tour, Riviera, one of the easiest opening holes on tour, um, the par five first, then followed up by a difficult par four, uh, second. It's the very same thing, very similar thing here at LACC. You get out of there in nine and that's, roughly par uh equivalent to, to the rest of the field there so um yeah I, I love the fact that they kept it to his initial vision um in terms of like a live betting angle it does make it maybe a bit tougher on guys that start on one early because if you're if you're anticipating um a guy's number to kind of stay still and you kind of want to get maybe a bit of a feel on how he's playing uh, a lot of times in u.s open U.S. Open, it's easier to kind of monitor the live market just because guys aren't making as many birdies and they're not going to move up the odds board um, because of that because books tend to respond a lot faster to birdies made versus pars made and bogeys avoided. Um, and so that might make it a bit more difficult if you're looking in particular at guys that start on the front side. Um, but in all, I think water will, again, find its level um, and – yeah, it won't play that much of a factor in terms of my like actual live betting strategy. But um, I guess if you're looking for like an ideal world, like you would maybe hope the guy starts on 10, uh, that way he can kind of get some of the harder holes out of the way first. And then he still has one in his back pocket, which I would assume will play as the easiest hole in the golf course this week, maybe one or eight. Um, so, yeah, that, that'd be my overarching, overarching uh, philosophy on, on the gentle handshake, uh, as George Thomas would call it. Um, and I guess that does segue pretty well into kind of like course comps because we talk, we've yeah. already talked a couple yeah. times about Riviera. Um, obviously, if you're kind of looking for course comps, like Riviera makes the most sense given it's 15 minutes down the road. They're both, they're both George Thomas designs. They have a lot of parallels with um, the course layout, with you know some of the risk reward par, uh, you know par fives and par fours on property. Um, but I would caution those that use Riviera as the primary comp as there are a lot of differences between the two golf courses. Number one, agronomically, Riviera is a lot more similar to its kind of California cousins and Torrey Pines and Pebble Beach. Uh, Poana Greens, Kikuya Rough, present at all three of those golf courses. Um, here at LSEC, it's much more of a traditional um, PJ Tour style um, or PJ Tour caliber of agronomy with water wall Bermuda grass from the fairways and the rough, uh, pure bent grass greens. So a lot of those guys that... Um, Sometimes we'll get to California and just are relatively inexperienced with the Kikuya, with the Poana. Um, maybe don't have to worry about that as much this week. Brooks Kepka, notable example of a guy that tends to play quite poorly at Riviera, uh, has spoken out pretty um, candidly about his disdain for Kikuya and for 
I guess to a lesser extent, Poana. So the Cal- the Florida kid now back on Bermuda, uh, maybe an extra point in his favor as opposed to most California stops. Um, Riviera also places a lot more emphasis on kind of shot shaping through tight corridors off the tee. LACC pro- tends to provide uh, some more like generous landing areas. Um, although both courses do kind of penalize wayward misses, um, but you just have a bit more confidence. A lot of guys that you hear talk about this course will talk about just a bit more um, forgiveness off the tee here here at LACC as opposed to uh, as opposed to a place like Riviera where you kind of have to shot shape uh, around uh, around that place. Riviera also profiles as a bit more of a kind of middle to long iron course. It's also a par 71 versus a par 70, so an extra par 5 in there as well. Um, but over 70% of historical approach shots have come from over 150 at Riv. Uh, but LACC really leans more into kind of just pure long iron play uh, as with four par 3s over 170, six par 4s over 480, and three par 5s. It's not really out of the question for guys to have 13 or 14 shots from um, over 175 yards on approach this week. So long iron play super important, even more important than it would be at Riviera. And then finally, um, just it's the it's US Open, right? So the USGA is going to be here. They're responsible for the setup. That combined with the time of year um, will make it, I think, just a few steps above Riviera, just year in, year out in terms of overall difficulty. Uh, there's been less than an inch of rainfall in LA since the start of April. So I'd expect these fairways and greens to be about as firm as any US Open course we've seen in recent memory, which is a lot of the reason why I'm excited for this golf course. If you listen to kind of my post-colonial thoughts, uh, think about uh, kind of the problems they had to deal with in Fort Worth this past year, um, but on a golf course stretched out over three, 400 yards farther out. So a lot more long irons, a lot less wedges, uh, lots of control, uh, and a lot less kind of imagine or a lot more imagination required uh, to kind of hold these greens. So, um, yeah, so that's second ways. So we talked about how, why maybe Riviera isn't the best comp. I would talk maybe um, if you are in search of more, I guess, better comp courses it's it's kind of difficult to find an exact apples to apples comparison like we saw at oak hill last month um i guess i mean northeastern parkland courses with a ton of driver holes and heavy rough is a pretty common archetype on the pj tour with places like wingfoot Bethpage black Make, etc um but lacc is very much kind of in its own genre a little ways i mean i, I think if you're you kind of have to use your imagination a bit more, I would say, uh, this week. I do think Shinnecock Hills, though, does um, make the most sense, maybe just as a one-to-one comparison. Both courses are – they feature a substantial amount of room off the tee, exceptionally firm earth conditions, and an abundance of uh, elevated green complexes that's kind of come with penal runoffs on all sides. Very difficult to chip around uh, Shinnecock's greens as well. Um, that was notably the last U.S. Open that was also won at an over-par score. I think Kepka won at one over. Uh, in 2018, um, and I think LSEC has the same possibility to play just as difficult if organizers want to get uh, devilish with the setup here. Um, Southern Hills and Memorial Park. I think Southern Hills, obviously the 2021 PGA site, Memorial Park is uh, host the Houston Open every year. They make a bit of sense as well, but a pretty similar agronomy with, with, the, with the Bermuda grass. Um, Southern Hills, ton of elevation change. Uh, they also have some parallels with their superintendents. Uh, both have both had uh, Russ Myers in charge of operations there for, for many years uh, and both underwent recent renovations from Gail Hance and then Memorial Park um, more so for its elevated greens, shaved runoff areas and emphasis on driving and long iron play. And then finally, I'd point to Augusta National, which I think might be uh, in terms of stops that we see year in, year out on the PJ Tour, probably the closest we have 
Uh, just given, again, Augusta, there's quite a bit of room off the tee. Um, you're not really going to have a ton of level lies at Augusta. Very similar to here. A lot of canted, severely canted fairways uh, combined with a steep penalty for, for wayward misses off the tee. Um, you have a ton of long irons at Augusta just like here. And then um, we haven't really talked too in-depth about the green complexes at LACC, but some of the most severe, quick, diabolical bent grass greens we're going to have um, really over the course of the season. So that would be kind of my breakdown of if you are looking for maybe some markers, um, some historical markers to look at, given that we've never seen LACC um, in the last 80-plus years uh, on the PJ Tour and professional play, uh, that would be kind of my rundown of, of some comp courses there. So uh, do you all have any questions about, like, key stats to look for have you i mean i know i've been talking for way too long probably at this point but uh kind of what what are y'all what, what are y'all thoughts right now in terms of kind of how this course is going to play well i think i think what's interesting too like is how many different approaches to different holes right so like i was just looking mm -hmm. at the course by the whole by whole breakdown and how they redesigned hole six and how yeah. like it's it's approachable by drive if you want to take the risk or reward or you you know you play the you know long iron and, and just the easy chip shot. So, um, yeah, obviously I think, um, it's going to be a good mix of, of driver and approach. And, but I think that's typically how you like to build your model anyways, but Derek, sorry, I cut you off. No, you didn't at all. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, the U S opens or whatever major it is. Uh, you can use, you know, the masters as the closest comp. And we talk about, you know, do you want a guy or do you are trying to target people that have a better short game or a little trending in that area? How's their putting or you looking for somebody that's more consistent off the tee. What do you look for when it comes to LACC? Do you look at driving ability and accuracy or are you looking at short game? Yeah, that's, that's probably the million dollar question. I would say, uh, I think most people that you talk to will be pretty dialed in with the long iron thing. Um, you know, I just talked about, 13, maybe 14 approach shots are going to come from 175 yards plus. So yep. for me, the number one attribute a player needs to have this week is long iron play, proximity from those particular ranges. Um, and then I think we go kind of one or two ways. I mean, obviously both would be ideal in terms of just overall tee to green play. Um, when you look at total driving, I mean, you look at the last like decade, half decade of U.S. Open champions, it's kind of tough to find a player that wasn't a prolific driver of the golf ball. Kepka, Rom, DeChambeau, DJ, mm -hmm. Woodland. Even Fitzpatrick last year was second total driving in the field, came in gaining nine of 10 shots, uh, came in gaining strokes off the tee and nine of 10 starts. Sure. Um, so I, I do think just if you want to go based on just general U.S. open history, driving might supersede short game, but the landing areas at LACC, like I mentioned, are probably as wide as you're going to get um, at a U.S. open venue like this. And I will say that if I had to choose – uh, between like distance and accuracy, I would actually go with accuracy. Like, I, I don't actually think mm -hmm. you have to be like a like 315 yard, like long and straight, like you did at Oak Hill. Like, like if you if you listen to the podcast that we did on the PGA this year, like I was weighing driving distance and overall total driving very, very heavily. And you saw that leaderboard shape up with Kepka, DeChambo, Jeff, yeah. Hoffman, et cetera. Right. I don't think you have to necessarily be that dialed in with a driver you don't have to be an elite total driver but i do think you have to be able to avoid just wayward like super wayward misses i think it does afford you the ability to maybe miss by a few yards here or there um but there is real trouble lurking if you start missing 
10, mm-hmm. 15, 20 yards offline. Uh, not just with the thick rough that we're accustomed to at US Owens, but uh, natural hazards like the Barranca that's going to be talked about quite a bit. And then obviously some tr- it's pretty tree-lined around the LACC as well. So that would be my main thing with the driver, would just be avoiding waiver misses. Go ahead, Derek. Oh, the other question I was going to have with that is you mentioned about the U.S. Open and, and looking at you know maybe how somebody's done traditionally at that event. Do you weigh their past history at U.S. Opens more so than maybe some of the momentum that they're coming in with? Yeah, um, I would say for me, typically recent form is kind of always king, uh, especially when we're talking because our main focus on the show is outright betting, uh, trying to figure out who's going to win this event. And it's very difficult for a guy to come in in a field like this without recent form and actually ascend to the top of leaderboards. I will say mm-hmm. once you get kind of further down and we're talking maybe prop markets, DFS, some value plays, that's when I start to maybe lean into more of the the narratives around US Open history and their aptitude and difficult scoring conditions and stuff like that. Because I do think that absolutely like course management, resilience and difficult scoring conditions, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit of just an attitude like assessment is, is super important around here because this is a golf course that's basically, pr- it's practically guaranteed to bite you back at some point or another. Um, I would say 95% of players are going to end up with a double bogey or worse at some point in this tournament, just given how penal this huh. golf course can play. Um, and so having kind of a, that bankable track record of like US Open success and just, you know, the willingness to basically do what Brooks Kepka did at Oak Hill, right? Like fairways, greens, be content to hit into 40 feet and two putting, never making worse than bogey when you do get into trouble. Like that's going to be mm-hmm. super, super important. Who's willing to play that kind of boring plotting style of golf because your patience is going to be very, very tested here and, and impatience will be maybe as harshly punished as we've ever seen who's the most boring player in the uh the tournament this week <laughs> uh i mean if we're talking game wise or we're talking like uh, we're talking game wise yeah game wise yeah who's boring okay. who's got a boring you know game from t to green if you're if you're talking like just general history in this type of setup it's it's brooks like brooks is probably the most conservative golfer at least in this type of hmm championship that, that maybe we've ever seen i know that's probably not the answer you're looking for i think no i think I that's a good but else. i think that's a good answer i would never have tied him necessarily with the most conservative obviously yeah. probably most accurate yeah. so maybe accuracy brings boredom i mean i play uh in a golf league with like 40 guys and there's a couple guys in there that uh, have attempted to play in the u.s open have played in the u.s open and yeah it's interesting to watch them play golf now at their age and they are boring to say the least yeah. steady off the tee hybrid into greens, you know, the, that kind of thing. And you're like, my goodness. So yeah, that's interesting. So Brooks would be the most boring player. What about a guy this week coming in about like Justin Rose? What do you think about him? I do like Justin Rose. He's been hitting the ball really, really well. We've been riding this way for a little while with Rose with, we bet him at the Charles Schwab. We bet him at the Canadian open. Um, he just contended mm-hmm. at the PGA championship. He's got a great history at Augusta national. He's got a nice finish. He can roll the rock. Yep, exactly. So he's certainly a name I'm, I'm looking at again to win maybe a bridge too far, but, uh, I would not be at all surprised as he rose inside the top 20, top 10 when, when the week's said and done, that's a good, good call at 50 to one, especially. 
Well, I, I don't mean to uh, bring up an open wound. I told you I was going to ask a lot of questions. Hey, uh, I don't mean to bring up an open wound, but Tommy Fleetwood, obviously coming off his second place finish last week, has a 7.10 tee time, has a 1 o'clock tee time uh, on okay. Friday. So I really like that swing. Yeah. Tommy, for a guy to get off to a hot start, coming in with some momentum, you know, obviously when you lose to a 72-foot putt, when you lose in that fashion, it's kind of hard to uh, have your head down, right? Like, it's not like, hey, he stuck it in tight, beat me on a birdie. I had a 10-footer, missed it. So at least he's coming in with a little bit more of a positive uh, mindset. What do you think about a guy like Tommy Fleetwood? Yeah, uh, so if you did, if you look, if you guys listened to last week's show, many of my concerns about Tommy were the fact that, revolved around the fact that I thought Oakdale would play a little bit easier than it actually did. I thought the winning score would be like in the 22, 24 under par range where it ended up being mm -hmm. 17 under got you in a playoff. I think Tommy is very well suited for this exact kind of golf. I mean, this is a guy that came legit runner up to Brooks at Shinnecock Hill, shot that, that famous 63 uh, on Sunday. Um, phenomenal Augusta history. When you talk about firm, fast conditions, scrambling acumen, just fairways and greens, he's not, he's kind of mm -hmm. like the, <clears throat> he's kind of like the, I don't want to say like the previous generations, but he's he's like the precursor to Fitz, what Fitzpatrick is now. Like the way Fitzpatrick won at Brookline is very similar to how Fleetwood played kind of at his peak, right? Like very conservative, just never really missed a shot um, and was kind of content, again, hitting the 30, 35 feet and two putting, yeah. uh, which I think will be a very viable strategy this week. So, yeah, you're hitting on a lot of guys I, I like a lot. There's three Englishmen that I like a lot and Fleetwood and uh, Rose are, are two of them. Look at that. I don't know if I can uh, pull a rabbit out of my hat to uh, get the third, but that really does help. I'd be curious. I know you're doing uh, your article writing, which anybody that's listening got to go and support Ian and what he does. The guy's a phenomenal writer and really kind of gives good betting insights and in how to kind of build your card or strategy with DFS. But uh, the one thing that I was thinking kind of coming in, uh, and obviously, like I said, you're doing your writing, so you don't have to do this. But I'd be curious when a when a golfer finishes runner up, and then what does he do the next week? What are some of those uh, averages? Does he make the cut? Does he finish back it up with like a top ten, top twenty, twenty four, or top forty? You know, yeah. uh, some of those metrics. That'd be that'd be curious. Uh, strokes gain momentum. That's what we're yeah. looking for. Yeah, I like that. Strokes gain <laughs> momentum. I I, I would like say, that a lot. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny in the golf world how this works. I'm not sure if it works the same in NASCAR. I almost don't feel like it does, but for some reason in the golf world, we're very averse to like back-to-back -back winners. Like we we don't like betting back-to-back -back winners. But if a, if a, oh. if a dude finishes second, like we are all in. Like the the pretty much the clearest indicator of future success in golf is recent success, recent past success. And so, mm -hmm. like I'm not scared off by Fleetwood finishing on our like at all. If anything, like I'm further emboldened by the fact that he's going to carry this momentum on and maybe even. Um, I mean, a, a win here would be historic for for Tommy, but um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would not again be all at all surprised to see him fifteenth, tenth by week's end. Yeah, in the NASCAR in the NASCAR world, especially full tank, he got us on to you know when the guy wins, you kind of fade him the next week. Uh, right. I've I've looked at that time and time again. Uh, I mean, with the Gen Seven car in NASCAR, you know, it's only happened I think twice where a driver has gone on to. Uh, win back-to-back -back races. Kevin Harvick at Michigan and Richmond last year, and then William Byron at Vegas and Phoenix this year. So, you know, we tend to 
kind of do a similar thing and kind of fade the winner. But the second place guy, he's, oh, yeah. he's hungry. <laughs> hungry right. dogs run faster. Yeah. It, it is funny how that kind of works because it's um, – I don't really – I don't play a lot of DFS, but I would imagine like there's some different leverage to be had in the golfing world, mm-hmm. like playing a guy off of a win uh, because they're just, there's that stigma there that's just like I don't – I think the magic's kind of gone and it's just – it's time for it to be a reset. Yeah. Um, but like I said, if, if a guy finishes second, like he's the most owned player on the slate. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, like I said, I, I think we kind of covered the, the overall profile this week. I would say yep. number one for me is, is just overall long iron play. So just recent approach splits, uh, and then that combined with like proximity from 175 plus, um, I would say driving accuracy plus total driving plus, scrambling and short game would kind of be my second um kind of like we'd be in the second tier of like metrics i'm weighing um right. and then i do kind of want to get into to putting a little bit because i think putting actually might be the most interesting thing to try and diagnose this week obviously putting is always the most variant uh stat in golf but on greens that have this much speed and this much undulation i mean Outside of Augusta National, I'm not sure if we've seen greens this severe on the PGA Tour no. uh, in, in recent memory. Um, and so I actually am taking the angle that lag putting is going to be actually maybe more beneficial to look at than general, just general strokes game putting, general birdie conversion stats and stuff like that. Um, because I think, out, especially outside like 20 feet, um, guys basically number one aim on these greens are, are basically just going to be to avoid leaving, leaving themselves like a tickless three, four, five footer. If you guys watch actually the last, um, not professional event, but last like televised event in the golfing world out LACC was actually the 2017 Walker cup. Um, it, which is the amateur competition between the USO, the, uh, the USA and great Britain and Ireland, notably Scheffler, mm-hmm. Zalatoris and Colin Morikawa, uh, were on that USA team it was kind of a historic team. Uh, back in 2017 LACC. But if you go back and watch some of that coverage, like guys had like six, seven, eight footers on these greens and were playing like six inches of break. I mean, it, these these greens are super undulated. And, and just that much difficulty on the greens leads me to believe that three-putt percentage is going to be way higher. Putts made outside of 10 feet is going to be way lower. And just having the ability to, to kind of feel – putts around and having that feel from 35, 40, 50 feet and leaving yep. yourself as many tap-ins as possible is going to gain you a lot more strokes on the greens than, you know, just generally like what you're going to see on a regular tour event, you know, putting it in from 15, 20 feet plus. So um, hmm. that's going to be, that. that's going to be my angle in, in terms of the greens here. I, I'm looking at approach putt performance, which is basically like how short of a distance you leave yourself on your initial putt. Uh, that plus three putt avoidance will be kind of my two main putting stats uh, for this week, and, and as well as a little bit of bed grass, um, kind of long term splits. But yeah, go ahead, Derek. I got an idea. I mean, we talk about lag putting. Putting here, lag putting is going to be, uh, you you know, if you play a drinking game, you're going to be taking a lot of shots. Maybe <clears throat> we change the uh, the podcast name to the Lag Hunting Podcast <laughs> instead of Flag Hunting Pod. Um, see what yeah. I did there. Might, might be think about it yeah definitely think about definitely. it maybe, maybe if you if you off. win okay if you get a, if you pick a winner this week and it you know lag punting plays into that next week you gotta change the title or the name to lag hunting pot well the thing with the thing with flag hunting Derek is this is actually like a, a saying that's actually like said like in the golf I, world like no one in the history of golf has said lag hunting 
Wow, we got to change the vibes. You said you got a lot of runner-ups. I'm just trying to think of like, let's, get a, let's get a winner here. I mean, yeah. it's in our back pocket for sure, Derek. That will be. I agree. Written in pen on the uh, on the last page of the, the journal here. We'll. Uh, I love it. That'll be in I case break in case of emergency. Just once you see lag hunting, you know we're in we're in trouble. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good. the uh, lags out. Okay. Yeah, exactly. When we're like all it. when we're down all the units and we have to like delete our Twitter, like we'll have our. Our little go out there on the on the back burner. I'll buy your Twitter first. I'll buy the handle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, that pretty much does it for my breakdown. I mean, we're 35 minutes in, haven't talked about a single bet yet. So I'm sure you guys are itching to kind of get my takes on players, Derek's uh, takes on players. And uh, and all that. So unless there's like any questions that y'all have, let's uh, we can move into the odds board. Yeah, let's go ahead and head over to the odds board and it's not very often that we have a bet right off the bat, but this week is one of those weeks as Scotty Scheffler currently sits atop the betting board to no one's surprise at seven to one. Um, and man, I can't remember honestly a time where Ian has shot single bullet so early in the week, but here we are. So I want to hear kind of what made you, you know, make that decision so early to go single bullet. Um, rather than, you know, the kind of sparse approach in the 18 to 30 range like we typically do. Yeah, I mean, 13 months removed for me, like, officially dig my heels in as a Scotty Scheffler truther after I lost a dozen Taylor May TP5 balls to Derek uh, <laughs> at Southern Hills. But, yeah, we're going we're going back to the well. Um, seven and a half to one is the number I got on Bovada. I posted that on Monday morning. I think you can still find sevens pretty much uh, widely across the board on the, on the world number one right now. Look, it's only been – three months since Scotty's dominant win at TBC Sawgrass, but it feels like Scotty's kind of still been on the precipice of something big for some time. Uh, since that win in March, uh, Scotty's made six starts. He's finished no worse than 11th. He has four top fives and three times he's been within one or he's been within two shots of a playoff. And um, Oh yeah. That's also within a stretch of 24 rounds of him being one of the five worst putters on the entire PGA tour in that stretch. He's lost, uh, 3.3 shots per tournament. That's roughly three quarter of a shot per round. That ranks him 147th uh, in this field. However, over those same past three months, he is this. Now keep in mind, this is in the sample size after his dominant five shot win at Sawgrass. So in the six starts since his dominant win, first in total driving, first in stroke scan approach, first in stroke scan around the greens. First in stroke skin T to green, second in bogey avoidance, first in proximity from 175 plus. It's hard to quantify just how good Scotty Scheffler's been from T to green, but let me start you with this. He's gained over 3.5 shots per round from T to green uh, in those six starts. The difference between him and number two Patrick Cantley in that regard is on a per round basis the same margin as Patrick Cantley to the 70th best T to green player in the world. Kirk Kitayama. In fact, over the last 24 rounds on the PJ Tour, Scheffler has gained double the amount of shots as anybody else in the field. It is truly one of the most historic runs I've ever seen. And this is this doesn't just go back six months. This goes back 50 rounds. It goes back 75 rounds. Like, this dude is doing historic things from tee to green. Obviously, I talked about it earlier, but a huge caveat for Scheffler comes on the greens. And while I can't argue for one second that I'm completely confident with him standing over a six-foot putt. Scheffler's notably third in this field in approach putt performance and fifth in this field in three-putt avoidance. 
he still displays like remarkable touch from punting from distance. And on greens where I expect the difficulty inside 10 feet to be at an all-time high, his generate his ability to generate tap and pars will be a huge asset. And if there were ever a venue that was suited for Shuffle's TD Green game, this is this is the golf course. I mean, again, long and straight off the tee. He's not going to get himself in a ton of trouble. Phenomenal iron player. I mean, lapping the field and strokes can approach. When he does get when he does miss a green, he's again been number one in scrambling over the last three months. And I'm as I'm just as confident about something happening in the in the sport of golf as I have it in some time. So to this point, I haven't I haven't bothered to make another outright bet. There is still room on the card for another name in the 25 to 35 range. Um, so we will talk about some guys down the board. This is not the end of the podcast, um, but I don't make this bet lightly. This is a bet I am very confident in. I think Scotty, again, something big is coming, um, and this I think is the perfect venue for him to get that done. So. Seven after one, Scotty Scheffler, first move I made on the week. Um, and Derek, yeah, just give me your thoughts, man. The 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 Scheffler hater in the uh, the room. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and it's uh, won me some money. It's also kind of lost me some money in our in our personal head to heads. The one thing I was thinking about when it comes to Scotty, um, and obviously, you know, seven to one. Is there value in your opinion in waiting on to bet Scotty? Uh, yeah. You know, obviously he's. I'm trying to find what time he's teeing off exactly uh, on Thursday, but I, I believe it's late. It, correct? I think it is. I think, he's, um, I think he's actually in the morning wave. It's it's tough because it's it's um okay. it's West Coast, but I think he's 10:40 Eastern. Uh, I can fact okay. check this for you. Okay. So. So even then with that, let's just say, yeah, kind of in the middle uh, of the groupings there throughout the days, they're more value, maybe waiting and hoping, you know, like somebody, uh, you know, like a Jordan Smith who's playing at 657 or uh, Dylan Wu, like just random names that maybe or Patrick Rogers will throw him out that maybe catches a little fire to start. Obviously, before um, Scotty tees off, maybe you can get him at an eight, nine, 10 to one max. Is there any value in waiting or? Uh, there's not much value about him now at that number. Can I, yeah. can I, can I chip in here, Ian? Just Go real quick. Ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. I feel like, I feel like just to, to kind of circle this in with NASCAR betters, uh-huh. I feel like, I feel like Scotty Scheffler is very much like Larson, where like he starts at the board short. He could have something mm-hmm. happen to him at the beginning, like in stage one, he's still super short. And then like halfway through stage two, you're pretty convinced he's not going to win, but you're like, there's like that little creep of doubt. Like, I think he still could. And you go check the odds board and he, that the, the odds makers just refuse to make his odds. Yeah. Like, it's very hard to find his odds very long, but Ian, sorry. Okay. That's how no, I would no. equate it, but I could be wrong. No, I, I, that's, that's well said. And I think the fact is number one, uh, I don't give a shit if Jordan Smith goes six <laughs> under through four, like Scotty Scheffler's odds aren't moving. Uh, it would, it would need to be like someone of some, of some substance, you know, like it would yeah. need to be like JT maybe, or more cows in the same group. And, and Scotty for reference does tee off at 11 or eight, 13. Yeah. Eight 13 yeah. Uh, LA time, which would be 11, 13 East coast, but that would still be the morning wave. And he does notably start on one, which we've already said is the, is the easiest hole in the golf course. So, so bet him smart now. Money would be on, yeah. Smart money would be on him, uh, you know, making four at, at, at worst there. So yeah. Um, so yeah. In okay. terms of like, live betting strategy, that that would all kind of play against the notion that he would he would catch some drift. Obviously, it's not impossible. Um, but given just the the baselines he has from TD Green, he's not a guy that just makes a ton of bogeys, right? He's not a guy that's like a super hot and cold. No. Um, 
he tends to be pretty steady and maybe sprint on a few birdies. Uh, I mean, just bogey free with the first 36 holes of the PGA. So, um, yeah, I, I, I respect the, the line of thinking um, because I think that's that there are certainly points to be made, uh, especially in golf when betting the top of the board, knowing that you're going to have a lot of time to make that decision. Um, but I think in this particular case, yeah, this is um, – I mean, I, <clears throat> when I made the bet at plus 750, there was no other shop – in the market that I saw that was, that had them better than seven to one. So especially this, at this point in the odds board, like when you can get to like 30, 33 to one, there's not a ton of difference, but when you can like yeah. get a point from seven to six, it, it makes a lot more difference uh, just based on unit allocation and stuff like that. So that's why I was so kind of gung ho early in the week in, in betting Scotty. <clears throat> and then clearly I, I had a pretty high opinion of him. Uh, even yeah. You, well. you laid out, perfectly uh every metric about him and why somebody should be getting on that number at seven seven and a half to one whatever you can find so uh i have no i have no arguments about that so no no even money head to heads with john rom then huh <laughs> i mean he is plus 120 uh <laughs> if you shop it around you know yeah. i was thinking about maybe doing something like that but yeah, I wouldn't scotty that has shown scotty has shown so much consistency and he shows up at every event. He's there. I stand by some of the reasons why before I maybe was fading him in a personal matchup with you, uh, where I was getting a John Rahm or you know somebody like Rory. But you know, man, uh, it's hard to go against what Scotty's been doing for as consistent as he has been. So yeah, Scotty's one of those guys. Uh, the way he's playing right now, it it reminds me a little bit of like twenty twenty one Larson, not with the wins, but just based on like. It's one of those things where, like, if, if someone brought it to me in 2021, like, oh, I can get Danny Hamlin a plus 130 against Kyle Larson. I'm like, I'm not betting against Kyle Larson in, like, any regard. Like, I, I don't yeah. care what the number is. Like, I'm not fading this dude, like, no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. And Scotty, like, nope. to your point, just has, like, that built-in floor. I mean, like I said, he's one of the he was one of the five worst putters over the last three months, and he's not finished worse than 11th. So That's crazy. It's, yeah, it's and- just baselines are so high. I want to – I was going to – add to that too because i saw this the t- a tweet by rick gaiman kind of it, another to instill the same point right he said scotty scheffler lost a staggering 8.52 strokes putty at the memorial still finished third to put that into perspective there have only been 162 instances of a golf golfer losing eight strokes putting and still making the cut in a single event yeah. that's wow. wild <laughs> <laughs> and he finished one shot out of the playoff my favorite staff from that week was the fact that he like Danny McCarthy versus Scotty Sheffer on the greens. Danny McCarthy beat Scotty by like almost 20 shots putting. And they finished one shot apart on the actual leaderboard, which is just, it's just wild. Um, his GD ring splits. So um, yeah, I don't think you'll find anyone in the golfing space. That's anti Scotty Sheffer this week. Uh, regardless of the fact that if he's on their outright card, it's kind of just one of those things. that's pretty well regarded that he's, I think he's probably the safest bet to, to be there. So for like, NASCAR betters that just want to have one bullet in the mix, one name in the mix, and kind of want to wake up Sunday morning with hopefully a, a, a guy in contention. Like I think Scotty's um, the safest bet for sure. So, um, but still, I mean, the the interesting thing I think about this U.S. Open is the fact that so many guys are coming in with a lot of momentum, um, and so kind of if you were to make the case against just you know firing away at plus seven fifty, like there's some a lot of really compelling cases, and not just the next two names we have, but you know deep it on the board, 20, 30, 40 to one. Uh, I think you can find some, some pretty asinine names just based on the profile they have in the game and uh, the price they are this week. 
Yeah, so let's go ahead and move down the odds board to the teens here. So, you know, if you're not quite feeling the single bullet range and you kind of want to start your car a little bit further down and get that discount, uh, we do have one, two, three, four, five guys under 20 to one, um, starting with John Rahman, 11 to one. Brooks Kepka at 12, who we've seen incredible form in the uh, uh, majors this year. Uh, Rory, who we have not seen incredible form from lately. Victor, I feel like we're going back and forth here. Victor coming really probably hotter than most golfers, not yeah. named Scotty Scheffler right now. Yeah. Um, and Patrick Cantley, who's kind of always in discussion for, you know, finally taking down a, a major tournament. So, um, yeah, what do you guys think about these this group of guys here? Do you want me to go first, Eric? You got a favorite here? Uh, that's a good question. I, I have a least favorite here. Okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe I start with that. Uh, Victor yeah. would be my least favorite uh, of the – of the team guys maybe this is where you and i do another personal bet but uh you know victor obviously um you know played well in the pga and unfortunately for him i mean he was he was pound for pound with brooks um there until he kept it in the or more so kept it in the bunker uh in a play of words just just a unfortunate situation there for him but he was in it until that point it's you know when we talk about the short game, and I know he's kind of made some jokes to it, you know about I'm kind of I'm towards the end, I'm almost near last uh, in that metric. When that at a place like the U.S. Open where they are intentionally making the rough as thick as it can, and you talked about it earlier about some of these different greens, the the putting surface and some of the rough, the rough, um, the 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 grass that's in the rough really doesn't, it's not a true, like it doesn't lay all the same. It, it lays right. in different spots. So mm-hmm. it's going to make a guy like that, you know, maybe a little bit more uncomfortable. And then that, at that point, if he's not able to get up and down and he's now having to make longer putts just to keep par, you know, that could be a day uh, where Thursday into Friday, he's really trying to press. So he's yeah. my least favorite of the group. Um, I would say Patrick Cantlay is probably the most boring player player. Uh, I know we, kind of joked earlier about who's who's boring patrick cantley just feels like he's always a boring guy uh rory you know rory's had been in the news here of late and he's kind of got some i don't know mental stuff or whatever the break is and then obviously all the pga live pif conversation that he's a part of is is this a week that rory comes out and and looks pretty good but brooks i mean you how do we go past brooks at 12 to 1 gets up for these types of events uh we remember the the famous kind of saying that he did a couple years ago he's like hey when i look at the list uh at 130 guys 65 of them i already beat the next 40 i know i can beat mentally uh it's going to be the next 20 that i really have to go out and beat when you have a mindset like that that is dangerous so uh brooks is my favorite obviously uh chalk but brooks is my favorite of the teens obviously coming off a pga championship yeah, um, I don't know if we'll quite get to the Hoblin versus Kepka matchup, but um, but I, I am I, I'm I'm off of Brooks. Uh, to be fair, I mean, look, twelve to one. I know the major narrative has understandably grown to fever pitch. I mean, it's kind of hard to escape what Brooks has done uh, over the last five years, particularly at U.S. Opens, particularly at PGA Championships. This is kind of his again. This is his home. He's won five majors. They've all been uh, either U.S. Opens or PGA Championships. These kind of long, difficult setups are right up his alley. Um, for I'm I'm personally again comfortable missing out on the match again this week. Number one because back to back majors are exceedingly rare in the sport of golf. 
It's only been done 21 times in the last 100 years, 16 if you take away Tiger Woods, who did it five times. Um, and Kepka traditionally has, you know, he's, he's really liked a nice run-up of events heading into majors. He got it before the PGA. He, he always played the week before when it came back when he was on the PGA Tour. He always played the week before a major just to kind of get those competitive juices flowing, get back in the swing of things. Obviously, with his uh, limited schedule to live, he's only had one start since the PGA in D.C. Uh, since that win. And then, I mean, look, you're going to have a lot of unquantifiables with Brooks just because we we don't have data access to the data at live. Um, and he just has limited starts in general. So a lot of this stuff that we'll be spewing out both for and against him will be conjecture uh, and, again, kind of unquantifiable. But Brooks spoke very openly about his motivation heading into Oak Hill after his Masters collapse. Uh, I mean, if you've watched that Saturday interview before uh, his Sunday round, he talked about how pissed off he was. He talked about after Sunday at the Masters, losing to John Rahm in the manner that he did. He sat down uh, and just went – extensively through like his entire regiments of the week with his team trying to ensure that this never happened again. Um, and, you know, now we're just one month or maybe even less than one month removed from the PGA championship. You kind of have to question if, if it's even possible to see that same fire, just like what a few days after his victory parade through South Florida. I mean, it was like what last week he was going to Panthers games like every night and, you know, was, uh, it was on some, um, some PDs in maybe a different way. Um, but look, I, I echoed very harsh sentiments about Brooks last month in the lead up to the PGA. So I was, I've already been dead wrong on him once before this year. Uh, if you're a Brooks guy, you feel free, go right ahead, back him. Uh, I mean, he's, he was like every time he teased it up in a major this, this, uh, at this point, he's, he's on a quest for golfing immortality, uh, to become the best player post Tiger. Um, I, I can just personally live with, with watching him from the sidelines once again. Like, if I'm wrong about this, then we'll reevaluate him in the open because he'll have had six majors and is now un, would be unquestionably the best golfer we've seen uh, in the last 10, 15 years. So, um, I mean, it's, it's going to be so sick. I mean, I would, I would, as a golf fan, I would love to see Brooks there on Saturday, Sunday, uh, just for what it would mean for the sport. Um, and I think it would be very interesting to see. Like, I was actually, even though I didn't have money on either of them, I was actually really – bummed to see Scotty kind of fade to see Rory fade on Saturday and Sunday uh, just because we didn't really get to see that like Brooks be another elite uh, player on the weekend right I think mm -hmm. Brooks is the kind of guy that and we saw it in the first two majors right like I think Brooks when he saw that he had to get through Holland and Corey Connors on Sunday to kill he was like okay like I, I kind of got this like he puffed his chest out a little bit like he was he, he knew he was kind of the man to beat Whereas I feel like when he played against Rom and the Masters, like he just had that little bit of maybe not insecurity, but just, you know, hesitation. Like he, he was a little bit unsure if he could get it done. Whereas I feel like he just had that inherent confidence against Hoffman, walked around like the best player in the world, and then obviously eventually got the job done. I think he's going to have to get through one of Scotty, Rom, maybe Roy or Cantley or, or Victor um, this week. And uh, I think he, I think he comes up just short, but, but not by any means fading him. Uh, I just I just like the profiles of guys kind of around him a bit better. Um, for me, I would say my fade would. I mean, it's tough to call him a fade, but I would I would say Rory. Um, it would it's it's a pretty intriguing spot for him. He's kind of the forgotten name amongst the top four. Um, if, you, if you just look at the stats, I mean, total driving, long iron play, scrambling, like they all point in his direction. But man, Rory's just like he's been so bad on weekends as of recently. 
He's also of these kind of top six or seven names, the most uh, kind of error prone with the driver. He tends, he's a, he's the most tendency to spray the ball off the tee. You look at Scheffler, Rom, Kepka, Hovland, Cantley, all like elite total drivers. Rory outside the top 100 in driving accuracy in this field. And so I feel like on a golf course like this, like the big misses are eventually going to come for Rory. Um, and that's going to put him in, in a bit more trouble than he can handle. So, uh, for me, again, I'll be, I'll be happy for Rory if he can close this thing out. I mean, get this like nine year old monkey off his back, but at the price 14 to one, I'm going to have to see that to believe it. Um, much rather pay up for Brooks, Brom, Scheffler, or even pay down for, for Victor or Canley. All right. So let's like move it. on down to the twenties then. Um, actually only three guys in the twenties. We got Xander, Jordan, and Max, um, which to me, I think there's like a glaring name to me of like the best of this group, but uh, I want to hear what you guys think. I'm going to guess you like Xander, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, Xander, we're, we're going to say the same thing about Xander Shoffley as we always say about Xander Shoffley, like especially at a, at a golf tournament like this, the U.S. Open. I mean, outside of Brooks probably has the um, most complete U.S. Open resume in terms of just consistency year over year. Hasn't finished outside the top 15 in the U.S. Open in his entire career. Uh, so still one of the top five or 10 ball strikers in the PGA tour. He's again, very much like Scheffler, but in a, in a different way. Like he's just kind of always been around, but not really found a way to, to put his way into contention. I think the floor is incredibly high with Xander. I think a top 10 or top 20 bet is always a, a, a positive move to make in a, in a championship like this. But do I trust either of these guys to kind of, or, do I trust either Xander or really even Cantley to kind of close the deal in a field where this many players seem to be peaking? I'm, I'm a little bit doubtful on that. So that would be, be my only concern with Xander. Like I, 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 I made the proclamation pre-season that one of Xander Cantley or maybe even both would get their first major here. And I think if I had to choose between the two of them, I would probably still pick Xander just because I think Cantley has a bit more downside uh, with some of the deficiencies he's shown with the putter and the around the green play, I think Xander's just all around um, just a better player right now. Um, but yeah, the the winning market would not be the, the the method I would use to to expose myself to Xander. I would much I'd be much more interested in the top ten or top twenty, like I said. So um, Spieth, I think, is super interesting as well. Uh, twenty five to one, you can find him as high as twenty eight, maybe even thirty to one at some spots. But he's a guy that when you talk about Shot shaping, when you talk about around the green acumen, just creativity in some of these just in-between areas that you're going to find yourself at LACC. I, I like Jordan a lot in that regard, plus the fact that he's going to have a little bit more room to operate off the tee, um, and he's been a lot less error-prone with the driver as of recently. He actually led the field off the tee at the PGA Championship. I I, I think this this course sets up really, really well for, for, for Spieth, especially when you compare it to a place like an Oak Hill or like a Torrey Pines or some of these recent – U.S. Open venues that kind of require you to be like a 315 down the middle kind of driver of the ball. I think Jordan will, will suit this place a lot better. Um, so I still prefer some of the overall profiles of the top. And uh, there's just a bit more trust with like a Xander um, or Hoblin like up the board. But I think Spieth could, could certainly find his way in the mix. Like Spieth's actually kind of maybe the opposite of Xander where I think the range of outcomes are wider, but you're kind of getting a nice outright price to maybe nibble on a little bit. If you do, uh, if you do find yourself bullish on speed at 25, I would, I would much more trust Sander to finish 15th. Um, but I think speed might be the better outright bet of the two of them. 
So Speeds moved a little bit since we started recording about an hour ago, uh, where he was at thirty to one. Now you said twenty five to one. Yeah. Speeds a guy for me from a golf standpoint, maybe a golf like purist standpoint, where I just want to see him do well. I want to see him be in contention again, uh, and just see kind of like the crowd rally around him. Um, I mean, obviously he's he's starting to trend upward. Uh, if he hasn't already, I don't know if he's at his peak. I do think he wins another major at some point. Just he's just too good. Um, you know over his, the course of his career. So um, interesting range uh, here, but speed would be the guy that you know, I'm not going to lay any coin on right now because, you know, he's the type of guy that I just need to see it proved. Like I yeah. would buy him at 18 uh, if I saw that he was getting off to a good start and uh, in the mix uh, versus buying him at 30 right now. Um, so yeah. And everything that also that you said about all the guys makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think Speed's also a guy that's interesting in the live market because you kind of know like the bogeys are coming for Speed, and I kind of think of yeah. actually I, yeah. I think pretty, even though their games aren't similar, I think the same thing about Hovland. Like they're both going to make kind of like mistakes through the course of the week, but they also have the acumen to like make up for them with like birdie barrages. Um, yep. So I think like Speed's a guy that if you find him at 40, 45 to one, and he's like four or five shots back uh, or more, like he can that's make a it down maybe in a hurry. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I too would not quite get there at 25 to one. Um, I would, yeah, again, I would probably prefer Xander in that sense, but um, haven't talked at all about Homa, the, the actual, the first LA kid that we've had. I know Cantley and Xander are both SoCal kids from Long Beach and San Diego, but Homa, LA born and bred, uh, went to Cal Berkeley, but um, actually holds the course record here at LACC. I'm sure that'll be pretty popular. I've had a, a 61 in the 2013 Pac-12 championships. Uh, so Homa, I know 25 to one kind of a tough price to swallow with it's gross. Rex. That's why I was going to ask, like, I was yeah. like, why is he 25 to one? And, and Justin Thomas is 40 to one. Like they've, to me, like, I know Justin's been bad, but like, they've both been equally as bad. So I guess that kind of answers it a little bit, right? The fact that he's yeah from around it's, here, he's got the course record. That answers a, a lot little of bit hometown narrative. Yeah. Right? And, and I know for a fact, books have, or books have a lot of handle on Homa because, uh, he's he was one of the guys that has taken that step up, right? So when you talk about like this elite tier that we were talking about in the 25, 20 to 1, 18 to 1, 16 to 1 range, like it's been a lot of the same names for quite a while. Home has been the guy like over the last six to 12 months that's really elevated that status and become one of the best players in the world and become a guy that you expect things out of major championships. And as a result of that, during his ascent, I know a lot of people that have 40, 50, 60 to 1 tickets on him here. And so I think books are maybe protecting themselves a little bit just based on the handle they already have. Um, but in terms of, yeah, I'm in full agreement with Chris at 25 to one, he might be the most overpriced commodity currently on the board. Um, he's had some notable off the tee struggles since Augusta, uh, in his last four starts, he's actually been a below average iron player as well. It's been kind of the part of that's been keeping Max afloat, um, in recent starts. So don't really love the momentum he's coming in with. Um, obviously the calorie narratives will run rampant, but, uh, there's no way I'd be betting him, um, over the likes of, you know, some of the guys we have further down the, the board. I think the Guys like Hatton, Cam Smith, JT, all objectively better bets at their number. I like Homa. Uh, but, yeah, 22. I mean, you got to shop around. While you were talking, I was trying to find what the best number uh, is on him. I mean, he's going off at 810 or 813, uh, like you said, with Scotty Scheffler uh, yeah. in that first, you know, couple groups. So I think if you're going to get on him uh, or you want to have at least a piece of the action, maybe that's where you do it. Um, you know, do it early and then kind of see how it plays out but yeah i mean uh, homa could have 
you get these guys. It's just like in NASCAR. You get a guy that goes back to where he first got a win or he's won previously. There's just a little bit more of a, a of an excitement and a comfortability there. Uh, I liked him really a lot last year at the Country Club uh, yeah. when he was coming into that event. Obviously didn't play um, the best, but, I mean, if I liked him last year and I feel like he's coming in with a little bit more um, – you know, a couple some different strengths that he's improved upon. There's nothing to not like, so I'll, I'll probably be investing to start. Interesting. I will say, Homa is the one guy on this, really the first like ten names in the odds board that doesn't really have any kind of track record of major success. Uh, U.S. Open past four starts. There's only four starts in the U.S. Open. Three missed cuts in the 47. Uh, Masters hasn't finished better than 43rd. He did finish 13th last year at Southern Hills at the PGA, but besides that, 55th, miscut, miscut, 64th. It's it's just really odd to me that he's at this point in the odds board, given just the lack of reason for him and the lack of just overall major success. So, um, yeah, I know Rory was kind of a guy outlined as not having much interest at a 14 to one, but if you want to talk true fades, uh, strangely enough, I would I would much rather have like Xander in a matchup, Spieth in a matchup. Uh, I don't know if he'll get Cantley in a matchup over Helma, but. Uh, Homo would be a guy that I, I'm certainly looking to pick on in this range. Well, it's we not might have often, to talk then. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not often we hear Ian bring up some some matchups. So the fact that he's bringing some up, Derek, there's your opportunity. I um, think so. <laughs> yeah. Which one is your favorite of that against Homa? Uh, I mean, I would say Xander has Speed. probably the highest floor. Like in matchups, I don't really – like I'm more concerned with their baselines more versus like your upside, uh, although uh-huh. they're pretty important. But I would – I like the fact that Xander, I think it feels like at worst Xander Shaw is going to finish like T 23rd here. Um, and I just like, I, I know the narratives around max, like I would like to see him do well, but if you can get anywhere around like minus minus one thirty on Xander, like uh, that's a play I would absolutely love. Interesting. Okay. I was kind of hoping you would say somebody else, but I get what you're saying with uh, Xander uh, versus Homa. I'd be curious to see if, I shop it around if that matchup's out there. Yeah. I'm currently trying to find, but I'm not having much luck. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about the guys in the 30s, and I'll continue to look for that. Um, much Guys I'm much more interested in, well, I guess there's only two names. Has something changed in the last five minutes? There's three names. Oh, yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot that's changed uh, since we started. Mm-hmm. There are, wow. yep. I swear there's there was a third name here just a second ago, but now it's only Cam I, Smith I and Colin. I know which name drifted, and I'm actually quite interested in that name. Who was it? Was it Terrell? Who is it? It's the third Englishman. Yep. Yeah. I think it was oh, Terrell. You yeah. like Terrell? Yeah. Oh, buddy boy. Uh-oh. I think we found it. Uh-oh. All right. Yeah. Get, let, 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 sell me on Terrell. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I've, I've been in the last two weeks at Memorial uh-huh. and the Canadian Open. Um, look, he's playing the best golf of his life from T to Green. Uh, in terms of off the tee, he's having the best driving season of his entire career. The iron play has always been solid. The around the green play has always been solid. Sneakily sixth place at the open at the U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills in 2018. Sneakily 13th at Southern Hills last year. Two kind of main comps for me. And he's gained 17 and a half shots on the greens over his last five bent grass starts. Um, look, the stats really love Tyrrell, and and actually, it's funny you bring up potential matchups because that's exactly the market I'd be targeting Tyrrell Hatton in. In terms of like 40 to one outright, I think that might be a bit of a sucker play i people i respect have Terrell hatton outright at 35 40 to 1 and and like i said i i understand where they're coming from based on the stats they're seeing it feels like Terrell is something com- something's coming very very soon for this dude 
I just I can't get behind it coming here in terms of him winning the U.S. Open. Um, despite repeated success at places like Bay Hill, he's actually played below his overall baselines in difficult scoring conditions. And I, I just think his overall temperament is going to be tested around this track. Uh, so there'll be some good without question. There's a lot of reasons to like Terrell, but I just can't shake the feeling that like an inevitable blow up is going to kind of tank his title changes. So top 20, I like, I like it a lot. Matchups potentially. I like it a lot. Um, but yeah, Hatton's profile looks really good. I just don't know if I can defend the win. The matchup right, so that then, he posted is gross, mm-hmm. though. Oh, God. <laughs> now, I got a matchup. I got a matchup. Okay. Max versus Terrell. Would you do that? I'm high on Max. You have, You're high you, have on... my, you have my attention for sure. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. So we, we you know, we typically, I feel like this is a tradition, right? Like we do this yeah. somehow in some way. And Chris, if you want to get in, in, in it at all, you're, you're more than welcome. I don't know which side you'd be fitting in on, but um, I, yeah, I think you, uh, if you're down for that and, and you want to do a little, if you want to figure it out on the side, we can, but you know, we typically do like golf balls or something. Yeah. I'm in need of a, uh, I'm in need of a golf ball marker and all. maybe we could do something that's like the equivalent of a uh, box of balls, like of your choice. If you don't want box of balls, you want to put something together, could use a, well, a, yeah. a couple, well, some small things. We can make a deal happen before Thursday for sure. All right. Uh, look at that. I like that. I like that matchup. I, I'm so against Terrell. Really? Interesting. Is yeah. it just the, is it the temperament or is it what, what's uh, what's throwing you off here? Well, I think the temperament is part of it, but like I mean, he has shown if you go back to like Augusta, like he fights through that stuff. I just think yeah. when it comes to a place like this, where you mentioned, I mean, you're, you're obviously the golf mind, and I'm more so coming in from the outside, but I, I just I just think, in my personal opinion, if you were to give me this matchup, which you are. Uh, Max is a guy that I think is going to be in contention. You're you're maybe thinking, hey, you like the top 20s. I think that Max is even like a top 15, top 10 guy. So like I already have him 10, five, five to 10 spots ahead of. I like this. I will say, I will say I would book your home a top 10 before I'd book your straight up matchup. But okay, what's that price? It does, it does feel like you're you're lower on Terrell than I am so we can start and I'm higher and you're higher on max than I am so we'll oh yeah we're doing we're doing this we'll figure something else out yeah for sure good I like it all right good little flag hunting NASCAR betting preview show (laughs) who are the other yeah exactly we're on we'll be on the air next uh this time tomorrow night so we'll 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 uh if it's not sorted by that by tonight it will be tomorrow Good. I like that. I like that for sure. Yeah, that's a <clears throat> as you get like some of these larger nu- or longer numbers, you know, definitely brings in a lot more players, um, yeah. you know, kind of into play where it can get fun, right? Like it can be, okay, now you're talking about, you know, some of these different guys. We, we have a couple here coming up, but um, I, I, I start to really like this range, which I'm sure anybody that's, you know, betting on the event this week, you know, you could put a quarter unit to win 10, those kind of things where it gets, gets exciting. So there are, so there are two names in the 30s that we haven't talked about yet, Chris. We we uh we went on a tangent because Terrell has drifted to 40, um, which is not something I expected considering how popular he's been on golf Twitter. Um, mm. but uh, yeah, there are two names right and still in the 30s, in front of Terrell. Yeah, yeah Colin and, and uh, Cam Smith. Okay, yeah. God, Morikawa. I mean, if you would if you would have asked me in like January, I would have been like I would have been all in on Morikawa. And like it, it, it's just so tough to back him on the back of him withdrawing from round four of the Memorial Championship when he was two shots off the lead with back spasms. 
I will say that, um, you know, although, you know, obviously withdrawing out of round four is scary, like back spasms shouldn't be something that debilitates him like long-term. It's just kind of an ever-present threat to maybe pop up every now and again. Um, but I mean, Colin did gain over six shots on approach at Memorial th- through three rounds. He's still a top three long arm player in the world. And again, I, 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 I don't want to say his lack of putting will be mitigated here, but I think uh, it'll be a lot easier to keep up with the field on the greens here because like guys aren't just going to be sinking 20 footers every, every now and again. I will say though, Colin, one of the worst approach putters, unlike Scotty, like Scott, they're both bad putters, but they're bad putters in different ways. Like Colin tends to struggle more with his lag putting and uh, Sheffler tends to struggle more like inside six feet. So I, th- I would prefer Scheffler's profile. And if I'm talking about bad putters, um, but Colin's ball striking always gives him a pretty damn high floor. So, uh, 35 to one again, I'm, I'm not going to be on, I, I would personally prefer hat and I, I would personally prefer, uh, even like a Spieth or, or Cam Smith. I think Cam Smith, actually, when you like build a U.S. open Betty for him, like this is a name I was completely hands off of at the PGA because I just thought driver was such an important asset to have at Oak Hill here. I think he's got a bit more room to operate off the tee. And when you talk about the combination of long iron play, savviness around the greens and the ability to heat up with a putter like cam smith could certainly find himself into the mix here he's actually for me in terms of like an outright bet at like 30 35 to 1 like he presents a really intriguing brand of just pure upside i do think the blow up potential with him is a little bit um a little bit higher than some of the names we're talking about um in this range just i think he can get himself in maybe a lot of trouble if he does start spraying the ball off the tee but if the driver is just a little bit dialed in um, he's got the all round game from kind of fairway to hole to, uh, to really make some noise here. So I, I do like Cam Smith. I think wherever kind of like you, whenever you like speed, you kind of have to like Cam Smith. They have very similar kind of profiles in the game. And I mean, if you look over his last five starts, he's finished four times 11th or better and on live. And then he just came off a, a T nine at Oak Hill at the PJ championship. So he's in really sneaky, good form. Um, and I'm kind of surprised they dropped a number of this uh, low down the board on, on Cam Smith. So not too far removed from him winning the Open, being the second best player in the world. I think he's sneakily kind of coming back in that form. So um, we talked about maybe me having a bit of room in that 25 to 35 range. If I had to complete my card pre-tournament, this would be one of the top names of the list that I'd, I'd be looking at. I like it. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's uh... – it's part of the tournament now when we talk about major golf now we're really starting to nitpick some of these guys tendencies strengths and weaknesses so uh yeah this is like i said a little bit ago like this is really where it starts to get fun and where you can start to find value um in some of these guys like we talked about earlier with brooks yeah i like brooks is one of the best teens player and he's obviously with the shortest odds but that doesn't mean that he carries the most value so um yeah so what do you think, Chris? Like, what do you like in this this tier? Or what the next tier coming up? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the next tier. I'm ready to move on to the next tier for you guys. Let's are. do it. Let's yeah. do it. What's the yeah, range? So, so we got. I know. This, <laughs> yeah, Ian already knows it, but yeah. let's let's just go ahead and round up the 40s and the 50s because I think that's for me probably where the win equity stops. I don't know if Ian disagrees, yeah. but yeah. Um, so let's just reel them out and then uh, we'll talk about them. So Justin Thomas, Tony Finau, Terrell Hatton, all at 40 to one. Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, and Matthew Fitzpatrick at 45 to 1. And then Hideki Matsuyama, Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler, and Tommy Fleetwood all at 50 to 1. Um, so if we were to make this a little flag hunting, if you guys want to make this a three ball, 
matchup here. I'd be throwing Matthew Fitzpatrick into the punch because anytime we have a low scoring event, Matthew Fitzpatrick is always my kind of go to guy. Um, and Ian fully expected that, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I was either on Team Fitzpatrick or Team JT. I know Chris has some sentimental reasons for, for liking JT. Uh, the number is really, really nice on, on both of them. And actually, Fitzpatrick, yep. 45 to 1, actually kind of the high watermark as far as I'm seeing. Um, on points bet in Caesars, he's 35. DraftKings, 35. He's actually down to 28 on bet 365. So 45 to 1 to Fitzpatrick. Pretty damn good price considering he's literally the defending champion here. Um, you know, not coming off a stellar week at, at Canada. He kind of fell off at, um, over the course of the weekend and ended up in a uh, tie for 20th. But ninth place Memorial, just won the Heritage, top 10 in the Masters earlier this year. So Fitzpatrick does seem to be rounding into a bit of form. He's actually gained strokes on approach in his last six starts, which that's always kind of the bugaboo for Fitzy. And the primary reason that I have for, like, fading him because – over a long-term sample, he's one of the worst long iron players, especially when it comes down to like this elite tier. And I do feel like long iron play is going to be super important this week. But when it does come down to like driving, total driving, short game, bogey avoidance, like that's exactly to Chris's point. I mean, this is the exact kind of spot that I want a guy like Fitzpatrick in. Um, and so I have no, I have no qualms. If you want to bet him at forty-five to one, I mean, it's not very often you get a defending champion at twenty points worse than what he came off or when he went off at this time last year. Uh, I'm all for it. I would much prefer Fitzpatrick to a guy like Finau or DeChambeau, like DeChambeau 45 to one versus Fitzpatrick. I mean, Jesus Christ, if you can get a matchup Fitzy over DeChambeau, like that's just as, as confident as I think I might ever be in a matchup. I, I do not like this course for Bryson whatsoever. This is a, this is a golf course that really requires, again, creativity around the greens. It's a field course. It's a shot shapers course. It's a golf course that you cannot miss wildly. Unlike Oak Hill where we had an outright tick on him at 125 to one. Um, if DeChambeau gets offline with the driver here at all, uh, it's going to be big trouble. So if like, we haven't really reached a point where I'd be betting guys to miss the cut, but DeChambeau would be probably the first guy where I'd be like, yeah, huh. I can get plus money on miscut cut on DeChambeau. That'd be a move. I'd be very interested in making. Um, and then yeah, JT and Fino, I think are, I wouldn't even say similar categories, but, um, but both have compelling profiles for the golf course, right? Like JT, what we know about JT is historically, Phenomenal ball striker, has a world-class short game, um, and kind of similar to Morikawa, struggles obviously with a putter and particularly with the lag putting. He's outside the top 140 in approach putting in this field. Um, but the number is so damn good on JT. You can still get 50 to ones on Justin Thomas mm-hmm. at DraftKings. You can still get yeah, 48 on FanDuel, 45 at Caesars. For a player that won a major championship 13 months ago, like that's a really compelling price. Um, and yeah, one of the guys that when I talked about maybe scatter shotting down the board, like just taking that shot on the upside of Justin Thomas is super compelling. A name I'll be certainly monitoring in the live market. Um, the ball striking for JT has been by his standards pretty subpar to start the year, but I think this is a golf course where a short game is going to play a real, real big factor. Um, and again, he's he's a guy that on these tighter setups, on these like golf courses with twenty five yard wide fairways, I don't really like him as much. But he's got a bit more room to operate off the tee. Um, and you can utilize his all-around game a bit more here. So, JT, it's tough to come up with, like, a real prognostication on him, but it's it's also, like, the upside is also kind of uncapped uh, for a player of his caliber. Finau, 40-1, to 1, he's a name that I think two months ago would have been 22, 25-1 in this field, given how he's playing. Since his one in Mexico, though, um, it's really just been the driver's been amazing, and then everything else has been pretty bad. Uh, mm-hmm. Subpar iron player over the last three starts. The putter has gone ice cold. Uh, notably, Finau's short game has been really, really improved. That's kind of been the catalyst for his 
rapid improvement in, in results and um his i mean two or three months ago we would have talked about him as a potential top five player in the world so um i do like the profiles of Finau and jt i just very similar to what Derek said about a geologic speed. Like I, I kind of want to see some life first uh, before I go jump again pre-tournament. I just, I think the range of outcomes is super low or super wide, um, but the upside is, is certainly very high. I'm team JT. Uh, and I have to give a shout out to Chris Worm because he said, you know, when we were talking even last year, he compared uh, Thomas to a Denny Hamlin, like uh, who's a guy, you know, that can get everything out of, uh, what they're doing, whatever the event is, whether it's PGA or uh, NASCAR. And it's those types of guys. Like they have that dog in them that is built different than most. Yeah. And JT, I mean, you look what he did, you know, last year when he came back from seven or eight down, whatever it was to win the major, um, you know, the PGA last year, just he's a guy that you can never sleep on and getting him at 50 to one feels like such a misprice. Um, for crazy. a guy of his caliber like it's crazy if he see. was yeah yeah so like if you would have said hey he's at 33 to 1 that to me still feels like a buy now if you say yeah. he's like 28 27 now i'm probably gonna wait but 50 to 1 i mean that's like how do you not yeah. lay a little coin on that and then even with that right like a guy that's 50 to 1 is going to be priced a lot better in some of the prop markets the top 20s uh you know in, in stuff in there where Hey, you know, if you don't think that he's going to win, but you kind of like some of the other numbers, well, then jump on maybe top 30 or top 20s and uh, hope to find some uh, plus money value. I mean, just kind of looking around like he's plus 100 right now to finish top 30. Like what's 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 telling me that I shouldn't go out and put like two, three units on that and just be like, hey, that's my prop for the week. So, yeah, um, I know you're a big prop guy in, but um, (laughs) yeah, so that's. I just think the variance is, is maybe a bit higher than we're initially baking in. Um, I would almost rather like play the upside with JT. Cause I think if, I think if he brings like the full arsenal this week, like he is very live to top 10 to top five, Yeah. but yeah. you look at the recent results and it's been miscut 65th, 14th, 25th, miscut 10th, 60th, right? Like it's, it's been very all over the place and true. It's just, I don't know. Like I, I, I would just need to be a bit more confident in the overall profile for me to jump in at even money anywhere. Uh, whereas you could, you could sell me a lot easier. If, like if I'm getting 50 to one return on a, him to win, because like J, if J, Justin Thomas wins, like nobody in the open world is surprised, you know, um, just based on obviously his, his, the caliber of player that he, he is. Um, so yeah, definitely name to monitor. I, I think 50 to one is yeah. Like, like, like Derek Chet, it's just a bit of a shock to the system. Um, and Likely, if I would have went down the route of just starting my card at 25, 30 to one, like JT would be a name that I would I would have certainly looked at um, in terms of maybe playing some of these these uh, big name players down the board. Yeah, no, I think it's good. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. All right. So we've pretty much talked all the way through like 50, 60 to one. Um, but Ian, I know that you always typically have some names a tad deeper, maybe not as many in a tournament like uh, this, he, but he pulls names out of his ass <laughs> and it's like, who's this Mito, uh, guy whoa, that Pereira whoa, whoa. That just shows up. No, I mean, that was, but that was a huge ticket last year for somebody like myself that didn't know who he was. 
leading the championship coming to the 18th hole if you had anything on him from a, a finishing position prop or anything like that or even a head-to-head if you could find it like you won so yeah. it's it's a credit to you because you find names i've never even heard of well for what's worth there we're going back to the well because one of my favorite prop plays of the of the week meter prayer top 40 plus 110 including ties so even if he ties for 40th none of the dead heat bs I love Mito's profile for this week. We talked about a guy that finished T18 in the PGA Championship, gains over, let's see, sorry, gained over 10 shots in TD Green. He was one of the TD Green leaders at the PGA Championship. He's just got that innate ball-striking ceiling. If you look yep. at his stats, I mean, he has been maybe outside of Brooks, one of the better total drivers on live. Um, and, man, the approach play, the baselines have been so high over a long-term sample. Long irons driving bogey avoidance like Mita Pereira again to win. He opened at 150 to one and that was very tempting to me. He's he's since drifted to 80. So you can tell just by that, that kind of people have been on him and, and money's come in on Mito. Um, but I, I think he's in for a really, really nice uh, US open, maybe top 20, top 40 would probably be the, the, the farthest I would go. Um, but, but yeah, certainly interested in him from a prop perspective, especially around the guys in, in some of his range here. Uh, Shane Lowry, another guy I, I, I always love, uh, particularly in difficult scoring conditions, particularly when it gets far and fast, emphasis on short game. Lowry, another guy like Scheffler, not the best putter just generally, but very, very good in lag putting inside the top 10 in both uh, approach putt performance and uh, three putt percentage or three putt avoidance. Um, and so Lowry just finished inside the top 10 of the PGA Championship, has great ball striking splits, just long-term with the long irons, uh, very reliable driver to golf ball. He's the perfect kind of TD Green profile I'm looking for uh, around a place like LACC. So Lowry Mito, I would say, in this kind of like past 50 to 1, if you're looking for some prop bets, uh, I like both those guys quite a bit. Tigala, another guy, a guy that I actually don't bet quite often, um, but I think he actually follows a very similar profile, a very similar argument as I made for Spieth and, and Cam Smith. Um, who tends to get a bit wild off the tee, um, but he's a local kid, went to Pepperdine, and his main weakness is kind of that uh, the spraying he can do off the tee. But when you talk about with an approach play, world-class short game, really good putter as well. Uh, Tigala, I think, again, the breakout wit's not going to come here, but uh, very comfortable around this golf course. has played it 20, 30 times. Uh, a guy that I, I do like in the top 40, top 20 markets. Uh, and then maybe to wrap things up, I'll – let me, let me give some love to Siwoo Kim, who sneakily has been a top 10 uh, ball striker on the PGA Tour. You can still find him at 80, 100 to 1 in some spots. Um, was two shots short of the playoff at Memorial. Gained 12 shots from TD Green there. Um, yeah, another second place finish to the Byron Nelson. 29th at the Charles Schwab. He's gained off the tee in every start this year except for the Farmers. Gained on approach in five straight. Um, he's a guy that has a great Masters profile as well. Plays quite well and kind of Firm, fast, difficult scoring conditions. You remember his uh, his win at the Players Championship in 2017 and a really kind of windswept, firm and fast uh, sawgrass. I like Siwoo a lot. Again, these these names are not going to be names that I bet outright. Um, but if you are looking for some names deeper down the board to, to play in the top 20, top 40 markets, maybe it's some matchups. Uh, Mito, Lowry, Tagala, Siwoo are the ones that stand out to me the most. I got another one in that same range that yep. I want to throw at you. So you mentioned Riviera. You mentioned Masters. A guy that I looked at, Joaquin Neiman. Uh, I figured that was coming. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I have against Walker because I I absolutely agree. Uh, I mean, he's a, he won a Riviera. Uh, he's I mean, if you talk about I like the, Neiman. Yeah, you talk I about like the overall Neiman. profile of player. Um, like he's 
a step above Mito, like in terms of just his overall stature in the game. Uh, the problem I have with him is just a bit of a lack of recent form. Uh, last five starts, he's come 33rd, miscut 30th. He did awesome. have a ninth and a 10th in live. So I just not, I'm not seeing the steady drum beat ahead of this tournament as I saw from Mito, uh, which is why I kind of pointed him more. But, um, but yeah, certainly uh, or Neiman's another guy. I think Mito is maybe a safer play. I think Neiman might be a play to deploy in the top 10 markets if, if you are bullish on his prospects because I think Neiman can – his spike weeks, I mean, when he plays his best, he's like a top 10 player in the world in my opinion or, or pretty damn close to it. Uh, but I do think he just carries a bit more inherent downside than his Chilean counterpart and some of the guys I've mentioned um, around him on the odds board. I was searching quickly to see what matchups I could get. First one I found was Mito versus Joaquim. Well, I'm not doing that. So uh, <laughs> interesting. And Mito is a minus 120 to yeah. uh, Neiman minus 110. So uh, a, a slight favorite there. But yeah, I mean, I think that's really good. Uh, really good information uh, and some of those dark horse names just to kind of keep an eye on it. Chris, I really like that you said Neiman. Yeah. Uh, he's a guy that I found uh, when it comes to three ball strategies uh, or even, you know, long-term uh you know tournament matchups uh, i really like getting invested in a guy like that yeah also first round leader markets i think neiman's a guy that i think can spike and can make a lot of birdies in a hurry if you are looking down the board for a guy that can spike for one round and maybe not sustain it over the course of the week like i, I wouldn't be surprised to see neiman go out there and 264 on on thursday and then um maybe fade as the week goes along so that would be that would be a, maybe a lean if you do want like a long shot uh like a true long shot position uh, over the course of this week, like, yeah, Neiman, Neiman would be a guy. And even along, just play the Chilean double, just play Mito and, and Neiman. Hope when those guys go off early and, and uh, represent the country um, on, on Thursday. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I got. Like, I mean, I, I would say, yeah. like, if you're looking down the board, just general profiles I'd be looking for would be like reliable off the tee, elite with long irons, and a serviceable short game. You're obviously not going to find like, the full package around here but um you know woodlands is a guy that uh, he, he he's so frustrating because he does so much so well like he's just total driving long irons like he's on like rom uh cantley hoven level like in terms of those two metrics the problem is he's just so inept at almost everything else uh but a former u.s open champion he's 150 to one um at a golf course that is going to demand a lot of long irons and obviously a lot of drivers so you could do worse than, than Woodland. Uh, Henley is another guy I've been looking at. He's kind of sneakily popped up at some of these more difficult tracks. Uh, a guy that's, again, when he's at his peak, one of the better iron players on the tour. Uh, super reliable off the tees, number one in driving accuracy in the field this week. So, um, yeah, you could, you, I, I could keep going for, for way too long. But, uh, yeah, Henley, Woodland are two names that kind of stuck out to me deep in the triple digits that uh, I wouldn't mind putting some coin on for, like, a top 40. All, All right. right. Well, yeah, how I are we think, feeling? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we've, we've worn Derek out, to be honest. But he's, he's <laughs> my talking, so we'll save it a little bit, maybe for tomorrow's show. I know, Derek, uh, you got some uh, some big happenings tomorrow on uh, on the NASCAR Gambling Preview Show. I know the Cup Series is not in town or is on a hiatus for the week, but uh, yeah. just tell us what you got going on tomorrow night in your traditional time slot. Yeah, so uh, every Wednesday at 8 p.m. live on Twitter Spaces, we typically talk about the upcoming weekend for the Cup Series or Xfinity and Trucks as well. But 
This week being special, it's the U.S. Open, and so we're going to carry some of the conversations uh, from the podcast here and get some late-minute uh, news and notes, uh, hear what Ian and Chris are on from the Flag Hunting Pod, obviously, and uh, have you guys uh, have some golf talk. So uh, I think we're going to get some really good community involvement with that. I know a lot of people are excited uh, with NASCAR being off. People are putting their attention to uh, all the golf action. So, Ian, you're going to have – the opportunity to really talk to a lot of new faces that are coming in from maybe the NASCAR world that obviously know Chris and, and then follow what you guys are doing uh, over at uh, FHP. But I'm um, really looking forward and we'll, we'll see what uh, names maybe stop by and then kind of can interact with us a little bit. So looking forward to that 8 p.m. Twitter spaces Wednesday, uh, June 14th. Yeah, every week, every week Wednesday, if you guys are interested in NASCAR gaming at all, uh, and you like a lot of varied opinions. Like that's what I love about Derek's show was just the fact that he has so many guests on a rotating cast of characters. And then obviously, you know, not just not just individual insights from three or four guys during the show, but you have, you know, listeners come on and ask their own questions. Like it's a very interactive experience, which I which I like a lot. So can't miss for for not just this week, but going forward to NASCAR. And then, um, yeah, I'm super excited to to be on next uh, for tomorrow night and. Jesus Christ! If Worm shows up, I, I might be way over my head with the home exposures or the home of fades because I know I know for a fact he'll be on your side with uh, with his boy Matt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah, can't wait for that. And hopefully this this podcast did enough to get y'all excited. Uh, even our NASCAR is excited for for I think what will be a historic major championship at LACC. Hopefully not the last one that we have at this venue, but certainly one to savor. Um, and uh, yeah, can't wait for Thursday to to roll around and you know have some, have a little primetime golf. It's been way too long since I've been able to watch a little golf, sweat a little golf over dinner. So that's uh, – I, I feel like the West Coast, man, it's the, it's the perfect time slot for those of us in, you know, Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania. Um, again, get home from work, turn on the NBC or whatever it is, and, and just sweat a little golf uh, with, the, with the fam over dinner. Yeah, the last time that the uh, the tour came out to a major on the West Coast, Colin obviously won um, down – I forget what the course name was, but the books left him open. I think he was teeing off on 16, drivable, par four, put it on the green. The books left him open as the ball was in the air. I could see it rolling, and I thought, man, this guy might have a 10-foot putt. And I put a fair amount of units on him to win that tournament at that point. So uh, I think it was 18. He gave me a scare on his second shot, went a little left, thought he was going to go into the ravine. He hit the approach and immediately was like, stop, stop. I I was pissing my pants, but obviously got up and down. Uh, no issues there. So looking forward to it again, guys. Can't thank you enough for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. And and as to quote what you would say, Derek, plug all of your all of your sources because oh you've got a lot of them. So let's sources. hear them all. <laughs> yeah, all my sources. Um, yeah, so you can best support me on the NASCAR betting preview show. Uh, download the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google. Uh, interact with me uh, on Twitter at Derek Yoder underscore just started uh, a new uh, Twitter account for the NASCAR betting preview show today, which you can find that at NASCAR BPS B is in betting P is in preview and S is in show. So follow us over there. Uh, but I mean, you guys have been day one supporters of what we've been able to do. And I just feel like the whole NASCAR betting community continues to grow. And I'm Working on uh, building a Discord right now to help that community engagement and uh, do some more things. I'll be in Nashville next week uh, for all three races and then Atlanta uh, two weeks after that. So looking forward to getting to some races, doing some networking, and uh, really excited about uh, what's in store here coming up. 
Heck yeah, man. Well, we've we've said it many times in the show and even in private correspondence between the two of us, but uh, nobody more responsible for the growth of that industry and this this whole little fun little niche we're all in uh, in the NASCAR betting community than, than you are. So you've been invaluable to all of our growths and just, just building just a super positive platform, super positive environment for for all NASCAR fans and gambling um, gambling junkies out there. So I know you've made me feel very welcome, even though I didn't start out as a NASCAR expert, but certainly um, your show on Wednesdays has been a key contributor for me, kind of gaining a bit of knowledge in the space. And I encourage anyone that, um, you know, is following the summer path as me is, you know, maybe tuning into the golf shows, not as dialed into NASCAR. Uh, there's no better place to find betting insights than, than on Wednesday nights. So, yeah, we've uh, we, at the start of the show, we said maybe an hour, hour 15, and we're at 140 now. So uh, we'll leave you guys be. Derek's got a lots of stuff to do. We've all uh, got our own separate journeys to go on. So. And one, one final note before we log off, uh, for those to plug another one within our circle here, uh, I think me and Ian actually be joining the Laying Coin Boys next week to talk about the Travelers on, on their podcast. Um, so if you haven't listened to that podcast, it's another – fantastic listen every single week yeah. i absolutely love their show yeah. um so yeah between Derek's show tomorrow night and uh rory and mark's next week um we're gonna be we're gonna be on the move on the move in different places so um yeah just want to plug that real quick give those Derek mentioned mm-hmm. laying, laying some coin earlier i was gonna try to drop that I, in but it, yeah. it, it didn't it didn't quite flow at the time so <laughs> yeah um, i try to work in that phrase whenever i can <laughs> all right guys but yeah with that being said uh Big week, U.S. Open week. Let's cash a winner, and uh, let's talk next week proudly with money in our pockets. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.